You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. Our Old Testament lesson for today is from Isaiah, uh, the 65th chapter, verses 17 through 25. Hear now God's words for you. And this is God speaking through the words of Isaiah. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For the one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth. And the one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build up and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord." And their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food will be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in, uh, in case of I'm stating the obvious, the election is over. And I bet you are as glad about that as I am. Whatever your position was in this election cycle, I hope that as Christians, we can remember that God is not bound by who wins or who loses. God is God. And God's overarching love and guidance continues whether you got the political solution you wanted or not. The angst, the frustration, the meanness of this political season is gone. And maybe it takes a text like the one from Isaiah today for us to begin to hear again the deeper promises God has for us. You see, let's see, is the title up there? Yeah, the disciples take their faith public. Whenever you see a title like that, whenever we encourage ourselves to take our message of faith into the public square, it is fraught with opportunities for misunderstanding and the accusation that we're going to dabble in stuff that don't belong to the church. But what I'm going to say today is I hope with the election over, we can talk like Christians to Christians and say things that need to be said. 
both today's gospel and the Old Testament lesson from Isaiah, and these are both lectionary passages for this Sunday, are foreshadowing next Sunday, which is Christ the King and the end of the Christian year. And so you begin to get some of the hinting of that in both of these texts. There's a little bit of apocalyptic sound to both of them. But it also foreshadows the first Sunday in Advent. And that's the Sunday we'll have just after Thanksgiving. And that first Sunday in Advent always has that tenor. Because Advent, as you will remember, and we'll say a lot more about this when we get to Advent, is about waiting. And it's not just waiting for the baby Jesus, who we know has already come, but it is waiting for that final consummation of God's heaven, new heaven and new earth, as Isaiah puts it. But it's difficult, I think, for modern Christians to know quite what we're supposed to do with a text like the one from Isaiah. And I think that's particularly true for Americans living in the climate we've just come through. We are so polarized. But Isaiah is not, is not talking about political solutions. Let me be more precise. Isaiah is not talking about human political solutions. He is talking about the kingdom of God. And in its own way, the kingdom of God is political because it's about the king after all. And we don't get to elect the king. On this next to the last Sunday of the Christian year, we're being called to remember who we are and whose we are. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. And we know what that price is, the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. We perhaps forget that our true home is not here. While we may rejoice that we're citizens of a particular country, like the one we live in, our true citizenship, our deepest loyalty doesn't belong here. Our citizenship, our deepest loyalty belongs to God and his kingdom. And that's the kingdom that's come but is not yet complete. Today, Isaiah reminds us that God and God alone gets to control the ultimate destiny of humanity. And that God's rule is always separated from human power and human rule. Which is not to say God does not have the ability to use human leaders for his own purposes. Clearly God does and has down through the centuries. We don't get to bring in the kingdom. That's God's work. But we can stand for and we can work for those things that point to the kingdom. Our God is a God who brings life out of death. Our God is the God who brings new worlds out of chaos. 
And just as there are no painless births, there are no painless futures. Christians are those who live in the present, whether it's filled with hope or not, knowing that God is working for a glorious future beyond our understanding. Now, I suspect that some of you will recognize this. I've become very cynical about what we call human progress. In many ways, I sort of miss that younger, idyllic self that thought if we just work hard enough and follow the precepts of the New Testament, we can change the world. I'm not so sure about that anymore. C.S. Lewis, commenting in one of the stories for the Chronicles of Narnia, said, I have seen progress in an egg. It's called going bad. And unfortunately, I suspect we've experienced some of that too. What we need as human beings, I believe, is something that is really, truly new. We need newness in the worst sort of way. We're in a fix. We've tried every solution we can think of. And we try this when it doesn't work, so we try that when it doesn't work. And so we go back and forth, in and out, back and forth. We change from one system to another. And my guess is that if we really want to find something new, something that is deeply and profoundly changing. We're only going to find that in the hands of God. I don't know about most of you, but I've stopped watching the news for the most part, except for the morning news, and so I know what's going on locally in the weather. I used to read the news on the Internet but I've gotten to the point where, how do you know what's true and what's not? We need something new. And perhaps a part of the problem is that as an American, I tend to think that if there's a solution to anything, it'll have to come from us. We are Americans. We'll figure it out. We're in charge. Oh, really? If you've been in a bookstore, and I know bookstores are dwindling now, but if you've been in a bookstore lately, or if you've been online to bookstores, go through the section called self-help. You're addicted, overweight, unhappy, stupid with computers, or dumb about anything else. Well, there is a book that will help you and tell you how to fix it. Can't speak a language? There's a book that'll help you do that. You can download it to your iPad, you can put it on your Kindle, or you can buy the book. As Dr. Phil is fond of saying, only you can cure what's wrong with you. Do we really think that? It's a lie. We're not only creatures of habit, we are also a part of fallen humanity. Our theology tells us that sin and separation from God and from each other are who we are. Even if you already know Jesus, 
In our theology, we called it total depravity. And that sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? But what it really means is every part of our nature, everything we say, do, and think is tainted by our own sinfulness. And you can't escape that and neither can I. We're caught in the rut. Most of what we do, we don't do because we really want to. It's because we can't figure out what else to do. Newness, genuine change is rare. Everything we try to buy that is allegedly new and improved, you know how that works out, don't you? Not so well. What we need is real change. Unfortunately, our claiming to follow Jesus does not always seem to bring results that looks like we're following Jesus. You know and I know that there are lots of folks who call themselves Christians and they are no better morally than anybody else. And sometimes that's true for us as well. So if change is going to come, real, deep, lasting change, it's going to have to come from God. The prophet Isaiah in today's Hebrew scripture lesson announces to suffering Israel that God really is about to do something brand new. That is, after all, what the prophets are about. As we said many times before, they're not predicting the future. They are proclaiming the coming of God's reign. And what he's saying is that this same God who is the creator of the original world is always in the process of creation. And that new heavens and new earths are coming. That's the biblical witness and its uniform allegiance to God doing something new, bringing genuine relief. The language of Isaiah is about new heavens and a new earth. And that language is found only four places in the entire Bible. It's alluded to in others, but it's only found in four places. Two in Isaiah... One in the letters of Peter and the last near the end of the book of Revelation. And it is always in the New Testament about the coming of Christ's kingdom. We have come to refer to this as something we call realized eschatology. Big word, okay? Jesus and the prophets before him are not just talking about some future kingdom that will be fulfilled when we all get to heaven. It's more than that. Jesus speaks of the kingdom that comes with him, that is initiated with him, but is not yet complete. That's why we can say our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship belongs to a place beyond this world, even as we live in this world. And when God decides it's time to complete that kingdom. That's when the new heavens and the new earth exist. 
So we move from Isaiah to the gospel lesson. And you get something a little different. Jesus and the disciples are walking around the temple, and it is indeed magnificent. And they get into a conversation about the beauty and the permanence of this great structure and all the huge stones. And it's the sort of building that gets built, and we think it'll last forever. That's the way we tend to build churches and cathedrals and synagogues and those sorts of things. We build them as if nothing can ever tear them down. Our creations, they'll be here. And then Jesus tells the disciples that stone will be cast down from stone and the whole place will be in rubble, in ruins. And a very short time, historically speaking, after this conversation, Jesus is exactly right. Because in 70 AD, in the midst of Israel's revolt from the Romans, the temple is absolutely destroyed. That's why there's only a single foundational wall left that we refer to as the Wailing Wall. That's a different kind of change than we want. That doesn't look like the new heaven and the new earth, does it? The children of Israel are going through what you can only describe as catastrophe. It's not the change they thought they wanted. It's not the change they got. They believed that God was moving to set the children of Israel free. But it's pretty clear God had something else entirely in mind, as God often does. Judaism, as we know it today, is spread all across the entire earth. The faith that was once centered in the temples is now centered in thousands and tens of thousands of synagogues around the world And it is through this destruction by the Romans that the children of Israel spread to the four corners of the earth and become, as they would say, people of the book. And so the faith continues. But it doesn't continue with temple worship. And what that says to me is that if newness is coming then it is not going to be painless. We want something to come, something new to happen, something good to come, and we want it to come with a snap of a finger, and oh gosh, isn't that nice? Doesn't work like that. Inevitably, for something new to be born, something else dies. And that's hard words to hear on a Sunday morning. For us to enter a new world, you got to let go of the old one. And we're so afraid of change, we don't want to let go of the old to even entertain the possibility of the new. The marks of the kingdom, according to both Isaiah and Jesus, are not that hard to see. 
Isaiah spells it out, as does the prophets. You heard it in the text today. No more infant mortality. A good long life where we all grow old in the safety of our own homes, fields, and vineyards, and a coming peace that we cannot comprehend. That's Isaiah's vision. The New Testament takes that prophetic vision and puts them in very practical terms in the words and the life of Jesus. Jesus says that in his kingdom, the poor are cared for, the foreigner and the alien find a home, justice is for all, the sick, the hungry, the naked, and the imprisoned all find hope. And then there are the wonderful words that Paul would tack on to this. We are no longer male nor female. We are no longer slave nor free. We are no longer Jew nor Gentile. But in Jesus Christ, we are all one. I don't think that's all the kingdom means. As I said earlier, the the early church understood that we cannot bring in the kingdom, but we are called to manifest the marks of the kingdom even in our own churches and in our own society. How do we do that? Well, Jesus told you how to do that. It's all over the New Testament for us, welcoming the stranger. Again, caring for the poor and the downtrodden, reaching out to the sick, making sure that people actually have medical care. Welcoming those who aren't from here. Finding a place, creating a place where we can find true justice and an opportunity for everybody to hear the good news of the gospel. Those are the marks of the kingdom. And it's not just a matter of our becoming spokespersons and instruments to change the world for God but it also happens in the midst of our individual lives. Have you ever been in any set of circumstances that was painful? You felt like the world was coming to an end around you. I don't mean physically painful so much as psychologically and emotionally painful. Have you ever been in one of those places where the old had to go before the new could come? As pastor of a church, I'm not infrequently around when people go through those sorts of things. Somebody loses a job that they've had for years. They are cast into doubt and depression It's a frightening time when you suddenly lose your ability to make your livelihood. And time passes. And you get back with those folks later. And it's not always the case, but oftentimes it is. And they found another job. And then, to my surprise, they say things like, you know, getting fired from that old job was the best thing that ever happened to me. I knew I needed to make a change. And I didn't want to, but God forced the change. And I'm better for it. Now, you can say that's making the best of a bad situation, and maybe it is. Maybe it's keeping a positive attitude, but I think it's more than that. 
I think it is one of those profound elements of having faith in God and being faithful to God. Recognizing that in spite of this, God's going to walk down this road with you. A pastor tells the following story. He says, in my lifetime, I've probably written hundreds of letters for recommendations to students going off to college or graduate school. And I always say to them, well, when you hear, let me know. And I remember having one student who called me in tears. His heart, he said, was set on studying in a particular graduate school, and he had received a letter of rejection. He was crushed. He wanted to study architecture. And he said, my life's destroyed. And the pastor says, I talked to him and I tried to convince him, your life's not really destroyed, but it sure has been disrupted. And you don't know what this is going to mean. But you're going to have to think up other things. You're going to have to make other plans. Well, to make a long story short, he didn't study architecture at all. He went into the field of industrial design. And today he's one of the nation's great designers, having designed many of the objects that are in your houses. And then he goes on to say, I think a major reason for this is that he knew the story of a God that comes into our lives and makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. That's part of new heaven and new earth too. We need help. We are facing huge problems, insolvable dilemmas, personally, nationally, globally. What we need is something new, something outside our systems of management and expectation We're coming up on the end of a church year, but it's also a church beginning. And the scriptures tell us that in the ending, there's always new beginning. The God who seems at times to destroy the things we like best is also the God who makes alive. The God who casts down especially our puffed-up expectations, is the God who builds the new heavens and the new earth. If you want to know about hope, that's where it lies. In the one who holds us in the palm of his hand and who creates a way where there isn't a way. For you and for me, and for everybody else, too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.